Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. And this is Nate Drolet. And together we form, I think I've used this before, but Hans and Franz, because we're here to pump you up. Yes, I think that was with Paul. Oh, I think it was. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You always give him the easy ones. <laughs> hey, Paul, uh, you know, together we form peanut butter and jelly. Ever heard of that one? Oh, yeah, it was a good one. Hey, Nate, here's some uh, 80s rap reference. Good luck. <laughs> well, you know, I'm trying to give you the good stuff. I'm trying to increase your level of culture. I appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I listen Not to... Not that Hans and Franz aren't culture. <laughs> I listen to albums entirely now because of you. See? It's all so- just songs before that. See? It's good. Good things are coming of this. Mm-hmm. But no, Hans and Franz, I think, fit this one really well because we're talking about this... I don't know if... If calling it a myth is correct, it's a... Misconception. Misconception, yeah. It's something we hear pretty regularly from clients mm-hmm. who have been through this training cycle. They've been super dedicated. they done all the work, punched the clock. Then they go outside and they get on a route and they're like, why am I still getting pumped? I got so pumped. I don't, yeah, I don't know what happened. Yeah, training didn't work. Yeah. I got pumped. It's over. I might as well throw in the towel now. Mm-hmm. And it's it's shockingly common to think that because you've trained a lot of anything, endurance or whatever, that you shouldn't get pumped. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, not only is it just a misconception, but it can also really harm your mental game Oh, yeah. When you suddenly decide that all this work you've put in didn't work. Mm -hmm. And I've heard multiple people. The first time I ever heard this was a friend of mine. And I remember standing at Solar Collector with him and him saying, well, once you're at this level, you don't get pumped anymore. And I was like, really? Is that true? Mm -hmm. That can't be true. And I've since gone way past that level and I still get pumped. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone I know gets pumped except for maybe like nine year olds. Mm -hmm. They just don't. Yeah. I don't think they're physiologically capable of getting pumped. Yeah. Do you, is this something that you've heard recently? I know you've heard it before, but has it that high level climbers don't get pumped? No, just that people don't understand why they're still getting pumped. Oh yeah. I mean, this is a weekly thing. You know, a lot of the people I work with are sport climbers and just, I like to chat with people all the time and, you know, pump, like it's the, one of the easiest things to perceive when you're climbing, like if you're sport climbing, it's kind of hard to tell like, Hey, was I efficient in that low, like V3 section? I may be a V9 climber, but could I have like, so it's easy for me, but you know, maybe I could have been more efficient. Like that's hard to tell things like that. And how much effort was I putting in on this relatively easy section? Yeah. You know, you can, you can change how it physically affects you 
by the amount of effort that you're putting in. Completely. You can turn a V3 into a V8 real fast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how is my breathing? How is my pacing? These things, like, they're hard to conceptualize. But how flamed my forearms are, like, you know, they're swollen, I can barely close my hands, that's a really easy one. Um, and so it's something that your mind kind of races to very quickly. Um, and so it's, it really overshadows a lot of other things. Yeah, I think so too. And maybe a good way to start this would just be, first off, you and I get pumped. All the time, you know, every day. I assume that you I go get sport pumped climbing. anyway. Yeah. yeah. I get pumped. I, I've reached that level, sorry. <laughs> I get pumped bouldering if I don't rest too much in between. Yeah. You know, just do. And I think a good way to start this, instead of just saying, hey, we're two relatively regular guys that, you know, climb in maybe the top third of the the climbing world but there are also some of the best sport climbers on the planet some of the best endurance sport climbers on the planet get pumped mm-hmm. and i just did a quick google search it took me all of 15 minutes to find some really great examples oh cool um and i've heard I've heard coaches say that pro climbers don't get pumped. Mm-hmm. I've heard that too. You know, I've heard it from lots of climbers that Jonathan Segris never gets pumped. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you're standing on the ground, it might not look like it. They never look like they get pumped. You They're know, so composed. Yeah, that's one of the key, you know, key aspects of watching a really great climber is that you can't tell when they're about to fall off. Mm-hmm. They've learned to climb really well through that pump. Yeah, you know? but. Some of the quotes I got, and all of these aren't all complete quotes, but uh, Jonathan Segrist talking about Planta de Shiva, which is a 15B he recently read pointed. And you can hear this interview on the Training Beta podcast talking with Neely. He describes his experience on there as ballistically pumped. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a plant at the top of the route that everyone has grabbed to clip the chains. Nice. And he said he was so pumped there he could barely hold on to the plant to clip the chains oh man and adam Andra, you guys have probably heard of him um on biography when he was trying to flash it 15a flash attempt he said he couldn't do the stab to the little pocket because he was way too pumped uh alex magos also a decent climber on a route called tct which was a 14d on-site in talking about his day that day, he said earlier in the day he did an 11B and got totally pumped on an 11B. It happens. Mm-hmm. And then Magos also, also said something really interesting about climbing on UK limestone. He said, every route is basically just with underclings and side pulls. And because of that, I got pumped faster than normal. So, a faster than normal indicates that he normally gets pumped mm-hmm. and B the, the change in style caused him to get pumped faster. And then a couple other quick ones from Ondra on Robin Ood, I guess is how you say it. It's a 15 B that he read pointed. He called it quite pumpy. He called mommy Chula a 15 B too pumpy I don't know what too pumpy pumpy. means, but it's too pumpy. It's too pumpy. I did it, but it was just too pumpy. (laughs) And then on Papi Chulo, the neighbor of Mami Chula, Seagrist said, one of the most pumpy routes I've ever climbed. So 
these are the best endurance climbers that we know of. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who are climbing 15A, 15B, 15C, D even, you know, and they're still getting pumped. So if you're climbing 512, 513, 514, whatever it is, and you get pumped, that's, to quote Alex Magos, normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, some of you might be thinking right now, like, okay, yeah, we get it. People get pumped. And like, I already know this, but uh, I think there's a big, it's important to kind of take in the big picture of it. Um, climbing in the red's a really good example because you get pumped on everything. Yeah. Like when I was fit enough that I could, the fittest, when I was the fittest I've ever been, like, um, I had a day where the day I did trans world, I also fell going to the anchors on Omaha twice. Mm-hmm. So like three near sends of 514. My warm up was a 511 that I did twice. I got a little pump both times. Mm-hmm. I did a 513 after that that I got pretty pumped on. And every time I got on one of those 514s, I got really pumped multiple times. Like yeah. get pumped, find a rest, bring it down. Get pumped, find a rest, bring it down. Like I was pretty much uncomfortable from the first pitch all the way to the end. Absolutely. And that's just, man, that's sport climbing. That's why it's hard. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you're not getting pumped, that's, I mean, if anything, it's just either that's the type of style you're on. You know, if you're on a two bolt rock climb, maybe you're not going to get pumped, but, uh, you know, maybe you're just on too easy of climbs. Yeah. Like I can go climb five ten and not get pumped. Hopefully. Sometimes I do get pumped. I, I was going to say, I was immediately <laughs> yeah. thinking of five tens where it's like, I have to smear and do like weird things. I'm like, I still get, pumped. yeah, I still get pumped on five ten, like even in five fourteen shape. Yeah. Do you think there was something that happened at some point? And I have a theory about this. Um, but do you think there was something that happened that caused people to believe they shouldn't be getting pumped? Oh, it's really nice thing to believe in. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't it be great? Like, wouldn't it be so awesome if you could just train to get wicked strong and just absurdly fit and you just don't get pumped? Like, what if you could be a runner and just get super fit that you can jog a four minute mile? Yeah. Like, I mean, which no one ever has ever. Like, right. a four minute mile is still hard work, even for guys like Kipchoge who, you know, run multiple, like, what it, was he running? Like, 416s? Yeah, the, something that crazy. Marathon? Yeah. A four minute mile, like a sub four, is still hard for him. He is still. Yeah putting out effort he's just good at doing it a lot Mm -hmm. yeah and he's fatigued fuck yeah he's tired you know he just works through it really well yeah my theory is that when the like magic bullet of arc training got really popular Mm -hmm. people suddenly started thinking if we do this style of training we're never going to get pumped we're going to be so good at moving lactate through our system or lactic acid for all you people who hate the fact that that word's still used. Um, moving it through our system, we're going to get so good at it that we're just never going to get pumped. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of people in the gym, and that's when I wrote the article on the blog called Sinking the Ark years ago, because I was seeing people in the gym whose only endurance training was arcing, and then they would get pumped on something hard, and they'd flip out because they didn't know what to do, and they're like, the training isn't working. And I'm like, that's not really what you're training. You know, you're training yeah. something totally different. Yeah. So I think that the misunderstood aspects of arc training, because I think it is a valuable tool. Totally. Like low level endurance training. I mean, like all endurance athletes do it. It's super useful. 
Um, but you know, like if you're, yeah, if you're a high level endurance athlete, like you don't just go out for a ton of slow, easy miles and hope that that takes care of everything. Right. Yeah. Are there situations where you see people having an experience in common where it's, they get pumped when they don't think they should be? And why do you think they're getting pumped? Oh, all the time. Um, <laughs> I've got about 30 of them listed. Um, one that I see a lot is... I'm trying to think of where to start. We'll start with style. Mm-hmm. Um, easy examples like going to Smith. Or like if you go somewhere like Smith, the feet are terrible. Um, it's funny. I was telling you yesterday when I w- first went there, I was like, this place is pumpier than the red. Like no question. Cause the hands I didn't find to be too bad. Um, but the feet are so bad. And it took me two weeks to realize I was pretty much just assisted campusing my right. way up everything. Yeah. Just pulling your way up your, I was like, your body and feet are just dragging behind you. Yeah, <laughs> man. And I had talked to Seagrass before going out there. Cause like, and I was, I thought I was in pretty good technical shape. I had just like climbed a decently hard granite sport climb pretty quick and I was talking with him I was like hey like you spent time there what should I get on he was like oh dude you don't even need fitness to climb there you it's vert you just you just romp right up it'll be easy you'll be great but the thing was he's kind of really good um (laughs) he's okay he's all right um but he can stand on his feet really well and he knows how to trust just bullshit footholds Mm -hmm. and and I trained a bunch of people up in the pacific northwest who spend time there and even people who that is where they climb, if they haven't been there in a couple months, man, your first few days back, you're just going to get rocked. Like you're just going to get flamed all the time because you have to learn how to trust those feet. Right. Um, and it's the same thing. Rifle, everything's slippery, facing odd directions. Yeah. Like when you learn how to climb there well, you can do a lot of stuff with very minimal amount of pump because mm-hmm. the rests are also really good. Um, but man, I, every time I go back, like, day one, I'll get on rehabilitator, which is like 11 D. I just get completely flamed out of my mind. Yeah. Like totally. I think Seagrass said it, he thought it was like a solid 12 C because of how pumped he got the first time he went up it. (laughs) But you know what? I think the red is similar, you know, it's got a reputation as being a pumpy area because mm -hmm. of its sustained nature. But I also think if you're not a sandstone climber and you're not well versed in the art of just letting your letting the friction do the work, uh-huh. you know, and just, just ragdolling your way up yeah, the wall. just hanging off your skin. Then the red can become extra pumpy because you're used to gripping the grabs, and you just, you're supposed to let the grips grab you in the yeah. red. Yeah, it's a very sustained crag, like more than almost anywhere I've ever been. And you know, endurance monsters come out and they crush it, but I've seen a lot of really good sport climbers come to the red and just get stomped because they. To them, they're like, I climb 513 regularly. I just tried to onsite that 12A, which is something I do at my home crag all the time. Mm-hmm. I got really pumped. Yep. You know, my response is like, oh, yeah, I still get pumped. I did it. I've done it 70 times. Like, <laughs> yeah, we, we just get pumped on chainsaw. That's like what we do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'd say style's a big one. Like mm-hmm. when you change styles, it makes you a little uncomfortable and it's hard to get used to. And so I think a lot of people will immediately think, oh, I'm not fit. Where yeah. it's just, hey, you, you got to spend a little time here. Yeah. there's I see it pretty often happen when people are like going outside for the first 
couple days of the season. Yep. You know, especially if they're just climbing that style for the first time in a while. Um, you know, I remember a season I trained. It was it was the season I sent Transworld, I think. Um, if not, it was the season before when I fell off at the chains. And I remember training my ass off in the gym, working my ass off. And then I got on a rope in the gym and there was an 11 that I fell on. Oh, man. And the gym like stopped. Everybody stopped doing what they were doing and was just like, what just happened? And then I got back on and I fell again trying to clip the chains. Oh, man. Just pumped out of my mind, you know, and and everybody was very freaked out by it. Like they didn't know what to say to me. And I'm just like, it's normal. <laughs> Does he know? need consoling? Yeah, exactly. Like this, this is what's going to happen. You know, give me two days. And two days later I was doing up, down, ups on the 12 pluses in the gym. Yeah. You know? It just took some getting used to that style again. And yeah. And I think that season I fell off of an 11 D my first day out. And then later that day on sided to 12 C's, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I've gotten good over the years at getting into that mode quickly. But if you haven't spent a lot of time outside and climbing that style, it can take you days or some people weeks to get really into that style again. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're rusty on climbing outside and you get pumped, a lot of it's probably because you're rusty. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, during my trip to Smith, uh, Nina Caprez was there. And I remember thinking it was really cool that when she showed up her first maybe four or five climbing days, she basically only climbed on 512s, mm-hmm. but just was doing a ton of pitches every day because she wanted to learn the style and really get in touch with it before she started trying to bolt or not to be yep. and some of the other hard things that she was trying. And I just, yeah, it. Uh, I remember the first time I saw her, I looked over and someone was just whipping for, off the top of a chain reaction. It's a little 12C. Mm-hmm. And then as I walked closer, I was like, holy shit, it's Nina Capraz. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she was completely comfortable getting on everything, like things she was going to get uncomfortable with, like things that were tough to, yeah, things she would get pumped on. And you know what? She then like ended up doing to bolt or not to be. I think she had to come back for it, but like she did a lot of good hard climbs while she was there. Yep. And it's because she recognized, hey, like, I'm going to have to take this time, get used to this again, get used to this style. Um, yeah, because, I mean, she's a world-class rock climber. Yep. And if she's fine taking a step back, then, you know, that's probably a good note to take. Yeah, and even if you're like, if you're a local, you know, there's still going to be time you need every season to get back into it. You know, totally. To get, find your flow again, find your zone. Mm-hmm. Um you know, she's not a Smith local, so she takes some days to learn the style. It'd be really easy to say, well, I'm a local. I don't need to do that, you know, but I think you do. If you've been, especially if you've been climbing in the gym all winter and then you go back out in the spring and start climbing on real rock again, there's not a direct transfer there. No, it's going to take some time to apply what you've learned and the gains with a Z that you've made to outdoor climbing. So... Yeah. And getting pumped is one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so another one that jumps out to me, and this is one that I see a lot, is fear 
or sure. trying to yeah. over control things. Yeah. Uh, you see this with trad climbers a lot who try and go sport climbing or <clears throat> shit who just stay trad climbing. <laughs> but <laughs> it's funny though. It, that's happened to me a lot when I was a tradie, when I would try to go sport climbing. Yeah. Yep. I got sport climbing was so much harder for me than trad climbing. Oh man. Worlds harder. I was climbing 512 trad pretty regularly mm-hmm. and five i remember being on a 10d at roadside a wall and being uh-huh. scared out of my mind oh, on a wall and i had climbed 512 trad yeah and that's just how my sport climbing went it felt so much harder so much pumpier so much scarier than mm-hmm. trad climbing yeah you know and so some people might be listening and be like that doesn't make sense. Like trad climbing is supposed to be the scary one. Right. Well, you're um, a sport climber if you think that. Exactly. I mean, that's, um, that's just factual. I'm talking to my people, Chris. <laughs> um, but the thing is, especially if you're <clears throat> like, if you're crack climbing, you can pretty much stay on top rope. Yeah. The whole time. All the time. You, you just keep running a piece up with you. Anytime you get slightly concerned, you just sew it up, build yourself a little <sighs> life pod, you know, keep climbing yeah. from there. And frankly, all the way up to probably... 10D, most trad climbs are like climb for five feet, get a no hands rest, place a piece of gear. Climb for five feet, get a no hands rest, place a piece of gear. Yeah. You know, or they're just all jug hauls, like hand jams or jug hauls. It's just simple. Totally. Locker fingers or slammer hands are jug hauls. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it's very easy for people who with a lot of trad experience, especially with cracks, um, to have trouble with sport, getting scared, sport climbing. Like I've got a good friend who she's climbed five twelve gear and it's funny cause she's terrified on lead with, with sport climbing. And I'm like, damn Sarah, like that's awesome. And she's like, oh, it's great. I can just keep a piece above me. I'm on top rope the whole time. Yeah. Like, and she's just fit as fuck. So she can just keep like running, a, popping a piece up above her and climb the, you know, a route at the half speed. Yep. Um, but so what you end up seeing a lot is people try and when they get scared, they try and over control things. They really move statically, especially like with trad climbers. Um, but you know, regular sport climbers, I think a lot of people don't take into account how much fear and hesitation really plays a role. Yeah. Like it's easy to skip over that. Yeah. I mean, and this is something that I've thought about a lot lately with my own climbing, like what if you could be just as comfortable 10 feet above a bolt as you are one foot above gym pads? Right. You would do anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like, I don't, I wouldn't need to be fitter. Like it's always great. You know, I I don't want to get pumped. Um, (laughs) Sure. But I could climb so confidently, relax. Just there's so many things. And I've met one, maybe two people in my entire life who can climb like that with that kind of confidence. Yep. And it's the kind of thing where if anyone were to see these people, they would be like, whoa, that's, that's something. Yep. Um, and I think we can all fall into that space. I mean, that's kind of the place we're looking for when we're trying hard red points or hard on sites, you mm-hmm. know, and we can all find that spot, but it's very, very rare to be there all the time. Totally. Yeah. Like hard on sighting for me is a good way to like click into it. Yeah. You know, in hard red pointing, you can get there with mm-hmm. a lot of work of saying like, Hey, I'm more confident. But even then, you know, uh, there's so many times I'll work out beta where I'm like, okay, like that would be nice if I could do that, but I'll end up doing right. this cause I know I'll be hesitating cause I've got a bolt skip below me. Right. 
Totally. Um, and yeah, it's like I may make something two V grades harder on a red point crux because I know I can, can over control it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like that, but it's like, you know, until I completely battle with fear, like that's what it is, yep. you know? And I, yeah, I think that's something we all lie on that spectrum of, I think pretty much everyone has fear while sport climbing because you should, um, you know, it's a dangerous activity. Yeah. Like some fear is healthy. Um, like if you just feared nothing, then I wouldn't want to belay you. Oh, for sure. But, uh, yeah. So that's one, one thing I see a lot mm-hmm. is kind of fear over control and it manifests in getting wicked pumped. Yep. Yeah. And when we were chatting for just a couple minutes before we started recording, you also brought up, uh, resting mm-hmm. and, and I think it goes both directions. Like you can, you can not know enough about resting Yep. and you can be way too reliant on resting. Yeah, you can. Yeah. I've, I see a lot of people who, and, and I've been one of these people. I mean, I, this is how I climbed for years was anytime I got to a hold that I could shake out on, mm-hmm. I would shake out on it. Yeah. You know, I'd be on route for 45 minutes and totally unnecessary and I think stunted my growth quite a bit. Um, but it's a habitual thing and it's, there's a level of control there. Like, you know, I, if I feel like I can shake out on every hold on the undertow wall, then I'm going to do it. Totally. Uh, you see this all the time. And I, I think the way you just worded it is great. Like this level of control, um, it's this idea of, Oh, I can, if I shake, I can get myself back to like 95%. But what ends up happening is when you're on the wall for 45 minutes, it doesn't matter if you feel like you're at 95%, like you've powered down, you've right. lost a lot of energy. <clears throat> yep. Like you won't be at 95, no matter what your forearms are trying to tell you. Yep. Um, so it's a hard balance to strike. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you know, that style worked up to a point in the red. And I think it works for everybody up to a point, depending on you. But a lot of what you don't realize when you're an endurance climber climbing in an endurance area is that yes, you can get your endurance back to what feels like 95%, but the minute you encounter a hard move, you just can't do it. Yeah. You know, I remember being here and actually at the sweat lodge, um, just outside of wild iris and I wasn't pumped. I had, I was on these holds shaking out forever and I couldn't move. I couldn't pull to do the next move. I had zero power remaining. Mm -hmm. You know, I had just hung on for so long and grinded through all these positions. And here I am staring at the chains and I literally can't let go to or or reach. I can't bend my arms. I'm just hanging there. And I could have stayed at that, that hold for the next 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. But I was never going to be able to pull up to the next move. Mm-hmm. So you, you can, you can have lots of endurance left and still have, and already have depleted almost all of your power. Totally. Yeah. And so pacing, I think is a good way of like kind of framing it. It's important. Um, you know, you can go too fast, like skipping by rests. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, this is, a kind of another common misconception. People be like, yeah, you know, I'll get there and I start shaking. It doesn't feel good. So I'll just keep going. Yeah. And it's like, man, it doesn't feel good for most people. Like often, even when I'm in good shape, I'll get to a rest and I start shaking 
and it takes a good minute before I'm like, oh, thank God, it's coming back. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it might feel like you're getting more pumped for yeah. the first minute or so. Totally. Like it has to like keep kind of rising and then it starts to dip from there. But, you know, it's a practice skill of going from climbing hard, really focusing, like pushing yourself as you're sport climbing to hitting a rest and going to fully relaxing. Yeah. Like and a, trusting that process because I see a lot of people who always just bail out of rests early mm-hmm. and they never learn to rest. How can you if you never practice it? Yeah. You know, um, in Andrew Bisharat's book, Red Pointing, Sport Climbing. One of those. One of those. Common terminology phrase. The art of climbing up clippy climbs. Yeah. Clippy danglies. Uh, he, one thing I liked about a lot about it, and I think I've even, I've referenced it a few times before, but there was a little blurb from Ethan Pringle. He had a lot of different pro climber. Mm-hmm. Just kind of write a paragraph or two. And one thing Ethan said, and I I still use this and I give it to all my clients, but uh, Ethan was saying whenever you're shaking out, a big issue he sees a lot of people do is they try and shake their hands too quickly. Like oh, sure. They'll drop a hand real quick, bring it back up. Drop a hand, bring it back up. Yeah. He was like, drop your hand and shake for a full, like slow 10 count before you alternate. Mm-hmm. And that for me was game changing. Like I'll do that and then sometimes I'll even do, I'll shake my arm until the hand that's holding on gets super pumped yep. and is just about to open and then I switch. Yep. That, especially if you're trying to learn how to recover and can you recover, to me that second one is a really great intro. Yep. And that's one of the subtleties of, or the nuances of being good at resting as well. You know, I remember, I remember reading a Mike Doyle post about Lucifer Yep. a long time ago where he talks about I had to shake, you know, either my left hand or right hand at the expense of the other hand. Oh, man, yes. Because I knew that was the one I was going to need coming up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really valuable lesson to learn in that resting isn't just this thing you learn the first time you get to a jug and you hang out there for a few minutes. It's, It's this nuanced, practiced skill that you really have to work at. Yeah. Like I may shake on a worse hold or a worse body position because I know it won't tax the whole, the grip or the body position I need to use later. Like I may sit and shake in underclings that are slopey because the other option is shaking on crimps and I need to crimp later on. Right. Um, There's, yeah, there's a lot of nuance. It's kind of, you can take it as far as you Mm -hmm. want. Um, But I'm glad you brought that up. That's, um, I think that's definitely a higher level shaking skill is knowing, okay, I need to, intentionally let one arm get flamed because it doesn't matter for yep. this move. Yep. Um, like when I was trying proper soul years ago, uh, Porter Gerard told me if I could keep my right arm from getting pumped, he was like, if you can keep your right arm fresh, then he's like, that's it. You'll do the route. He's like, it doesn't matter how what your left arm does, but every time you get to a rest, if you can make sure your right arm recovers, he's like, you'll do the rock climb. Hmm. And he was right. Like every time I would fall, I'd be like, God, my right forearm is so flame, but the left would be fine. <laughs> right. And so I started like finding these non-existent shakes where I would, it'd be strenuous to hold with just my left arm, but I would shake my right arm as much as I could. And then, you know, my left arm got to the point where that was getting pumped, but my right arm was fine. And I would kept making high points till I sent. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's super high level pump battle. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it comes down to. And and we get to those high levels because everybody gets pumped. 
Oh, yeah. So if you're not getting pumped, you're probably not trying hard enough, like you said earlier. Yeah. You know, and I think there's, a, to go to one of my next points, um, there's a misunderstanding behind what pump is. Um, I really liked Drew Mack wrote a blog post mm-hmm. kind of describing some things. I also like that he had his uh, playlists for yep. all his endurance yep. workouts. Um, y'all should check out the blog post at some point. But Yeah, and we're starting the, the pump prep again yeah. coming up in tomorrow. Ooh, Monday. Nice. It won't be won't be tomorrow when you hear this, but no. um, but it'll be starting again sometime in the next few months when you do hear this. Yes. <laughs> but he described pumped as kind of a green light, yellow light, red light yep. system. So green light is you got like a light pump just kind of moving. You could truck along like this for another 10 minutes yep. and you'd be totally fine. Yellow is okay. Like I'm kind of moving. And I think I'm also like kind of, uh, maybe I'm putting words in. I haven't read it in a while, but this is how I interpreted it. Um, yellow is like, okay, I'm kind of pumped. I can sustain this for maybe a minute or two, but this is like, yeah, it, it's kind and of, if pumpy. I hit something difficult, I could be in trouble. Yes. And then red is you're in the thick of it. Like you need to get a jug to a jug soon. Let's or, get it back to yellow as quickly as possible. Yes. Yeah. But hard spore climbing <clears throat> for whatever hard is for you, it is toggling between those. Yep. Like it should never just be green the whole way. Right. I mean, that's great if it is. I don't know. Like yeah. even on your warm ups, it shouldn't be green the whole way. Yeah. You should get into that yellow zone in your warm ups for sure. Yes. Like if you're not getting pumped on your warm ups slightly, then you're messing up. Like you're not setting yourself up for success for the rest of the day. Yep. Like physiologically, it is advantageous to get a slight pump going and get everything warmed up and opened up in your forearms so that when you do go to climb on harder routes, like you can get more blood into your forearms and everything's primed and ready to go. Yeah. Um, so I think there's this misunderstanding of the second someone gets pumped, they're like, Hey, this is uncomfortable. You know, they start kind of freaking out a little bit. Um, and when I say this happens to people, like this happens to five thirteen climbers. Oh like, yeah. This isn't, like I'm not saying this just happens to like five nine five ten climbers or below or whatever, who've never sport climbed much before. Like I see this really commonly with all sorts of people. Um, so yeah, kind of an understanding that this is a big scale that we're working with mm-hmm. of absolutely zero pump to completely flamed out of your mind, and you'd be shocked how high how long you can last on like yellow or oh, something yeah. like that. Yeah, you can sustain yellow. Almost indefinitely once you, you're once you're good at climbing in that zone. Yeah, if you hate yourself enough. <laughs> it's true. You know, my wife, when she climbs, she'll be feeling some pump by bolt three or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm pumped. And I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah. Or I say, good, that's rock climbing. Uh-huh. And that happened one day at Torrent Falls. Uh, she got to bolt two or three and she's like, I'm too pumped. And I'm like, no, that's just how rock climbing feels. And Brittany Griffith was climbing next to us. And she's like, yeah, girl, I'm I'm pumped from the minute I start every single rock climb I've ever rock climbed on. <laughs> pumped is just rock climbing. Mm-hmm. So it just it just is. Yeah. Like, there's going to be some level of it. It just matters. What matters is what level you've trained or practiced to be comfortable at mm-hmm. and to be able to keep yourself in check in. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, and, you know, I think a good way to practice this, so it's one thing for us to just kind of say, like, these are things, but um, a good way to practice this is practice getting into that pump zone 
and then climbing composed while in it. So yep. Yep. kind of getting into that yellow, um, not so much always just like dipping into the red and like chicken winging and going crazy. But if you can kind of push up to where you're like, I'm uncomfortable, then recognize, okay, like this is uncomfortable for me. I'm going to try and slow my breathing, really pay attention, try and keep, you, you might even slow your climbing just for a little bit so mm-hmm. you can really focus, Yep. you know, and practice spending time in that zone because then you'll get more and more comfortable with it so that when the big day comes and performance matters, you've already logged some hours there. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's so important. You have to log the hours. You have to spend time in these zones to understand how to climb in them. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do all the arc training you want to. And again, I think arc training or that style of training is valuable. Totally. But if you've never gotten to the place where you're stupid pumped, then you're not going to know how to react to it once you're there on your project. And I, I challenge everybody right now, just do a Google search for stupid pumped. I bet you find quotes from Alex Honnold. In fact, I know there's one from Alex Honnold. There's an article somewhere out there where he says, sometimes you have to get stupid pumped, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and Honnold is a dude who climbs in the arc zone. He lives there. You know, for a lot of time, you know, but he recognizes to climb harder. He needs to learn how to operate in that red zone a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think it's super important that you log that time. Yeah. You know, and I, there is an argument. Or there are plenty of arguments. One I've heard for why you shouldn't get really pumped very often is because it'll degrade your skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think as <clears throat> long as you recognize what's going on, like you can get uncomfortable without just completely losing everything. Like you can get a little bit uncomfortable, like, okay, I'm really pumped. And honestly, the difference, sometimes the difference between being in the red and the yellow is take, taking a deep breath and just relaxing. Yep. Like one breath and you're like, okay. Like, I'm here. I can keep this going. Yep. Just reminding yourself, okay, I can handle this. And yeah. then step back into your flow. Mm-hmm. You, know? so you, you just said something interesting about your, your skill degrades when you're pumped. And this is something I've been batting around a little bit and talking to people about. Um, as climbers, we all value different things. You know, I grew up really valuing moving a certain way mm-hmm. because that's how climbers of the day moved. You know, if I watched Ron Kalk or Francois Legrand move, they moved in a really certain fluid way and very precise way that I valued. And that's how I wanted to move. <clears throat> now, if you watch Adam Ondra climb, he looks pretty sloppy when he climbs, actually. You know, he doesn't... If you're comparing them to him, yes, yeah, for sure. He doesn't value placing his feet precisely when they, when they don't need to be placed that way. He's all about, I'm going to be the most efficient climber I can be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, he just slaps his foot onto a hold. It doesn't matter if it hits it precisely. He knows, I can put it there however the hell I want to and use it, and it's going to be just fine, and I'm going to be through here in .02 seconds instead of the three seconds that this really slow, precise dude would do it mm-hmm. and add it up over a route, that's minutes and minutes that he's, he's doing it faster. Yeah. You know, and I think also practicing learning how to value being a little, if you're a climber like that, a sloth, slow, precise, 
really deliberate, meticulous climber, practicing getting outside of that zone and being a little sloppier, moving a little faster can be really valuable for your climbing. Because then when you, when you do get in the red zone and your skill is starting to degrade a little bit and you're getting a little more sloppy, it doesn't seem so drastic. You know, it doesn't seem like everything's falling apart because you know you can climb that way and it's going to work just fine. Yeah. You know, in um, climbing fast is something that I'm a big fan of. And frankly, like anytime anyone tries to move faster than what's normal, it's going to feel clunky or sloppy. Yeah. Just practice. Like the more you do it, the better you're going to get. Like Adam can be very fast. But in what's funny is like him being fast and quick and loose he's still more precise than 99% of climbers out there Sure, because he does it all the time. Mm -hmm. So like he could be more precise. And he talked about when he went and climbed on the Dawn wall, that was the first time he's, he was forced to climb slow. Right. He was like, Oh, I can't climb this fast. Like I had to change my style to do this, but he's done it so long that his sloppiness, so to speak, like it's really good. It's super efficient. Yeah. No, and we don't all have to climb as fast as Adam Ondra. I don't think that's Mm -hmm. necessary for you to, you know, if you're a slow sloth like climber to automatically try to switch to Adam Ondra speed, you know, that's, that's not going to work for you in most cases. Um, but just making a 30 second difference over the course of a route can be massive. Oh, it's huge. You know, if, if you're a super slow, deliberate climber and you're spending 15 seconds in the crux and you can get through it in seven, then big win. Yeah. That's no question. You know, um, when we talk about a yellow lightning Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, the yellow Alex Magos shirts, tribute shirts, that's in a reference to there's an interview with him after a competition Mm -hmm. that I want to say he took second place behind Jakob. I think so. Climbed incredibly. Um, Really just like climbed so well. And Jakob um, managed to just climb a little bit better. It was an amazing show though. But uh, afterwards, this guy's interviewing him and he's like, Alex, you know, uh, do you plan on doing any speed climbing? And Alex was like, what are you talking about? I was just speed climbing up there. I would look like yellow lightning. (laughs) And he went on to say that his endurance is so terrible that he had to sprint the whole thing. Yeah. And that's huge. Like, I mean, that alone is a massive takeaway. Like, but yeah, like if you can climb quicker, you know, like three minutes on routes, a lot easier than 30. Like if you're going to do all the same moves, like if you can climb quick and learn how to climb a little bit better in that fast pace, which takes work, like all good things do, Mm -hmm. like, man, that's huge. Yeah. And I, you know, something we used to do in the gym quite a bit, you know, pre power company when it was team short bus, we, (laughs) one of the rules was after you sent a project, no matter how pumped you were, didn't matter. As soon as you hit the ground, you had to go back up it and Mm. you would go back up it on top rope. Okay. And oftentimes people would, send it again, even though they were silly pumped when they got to the top, they would find the ability to, you know, be able to operate in that zone and they would climb it considerably faster, mm-hmm. um, just out of necessity. Yeah. Like I can't hang around on these holds like I could. So, 
And I think that's a really valuable thing to learn. Um, with one of my old partners, that's something we would do anything under a certain level. We weren't allowed to stop and chalk or make decisions. We had to just climb. And if you fall off, you fall off, you know? Yeah. But everything under 12 a, that's what I did for a whole season. Just no stopping, no chalking, no looking around. You reach for a hold and you make it work. Mm-hmm. And if you fall off, you fall off. But you get better at climbing fast through sections when you need to. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And so same reference, same little paragraph from Ethan Pringle in that book. Uh, he talked about when he would climb in Spain on most things, I think he said under 8A. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. He wouldn't, like for his warm-ups, he wouldn't take a chalk bag up. Or this is a drill he yeah. liked to do. Yeah. And he was like, well, everything's already so chalky, but also it would keep him from just stopping and mindlessly chalking and shaking. So he would have to kind of motor through and have a good pace. Yep. And that would set the pace for him for the day. Uh, and I thought that was really cool. Um, I had a pretty unique turning point. It's something that I still think about. Um, I had just climbed tw- like my first few 12 Bs uh, as in boy. And one of them was Mercy the Huff. And me and some friends were talking about a game of, we're like, how far could you go if you weren't allowed to chalk or shake ever on a sport climb? I think it was only two weekends after I did Mercy, and that was like my fifth 12B or something. And I I mean, I rest all over that. I hand jam. I oh, do yeah. everything. Totally. You know, you shake out at every bolt on that rock climb. And it's like, I don't know, 85 feet, something. But I was like, okay, I want to see how far I can get. I bet, bet I can get to the fifth. I ended up sending it first try, and I was less pumped than when I did yep. it shaking and hand jams and like knee bars, everything. And I was shocked. Like I didn't, I mean, it took me years to understand <clears throat> what really happened. Like, but yeah, like I, I was like, Oh, like that's something important just happened there. Like I just yep. climbed much harder with what I thought was bad tactics. Yep. And it can be a slow process to instill those types of, tactics, style, pace, whatever you want to call it, um, into your like normal routine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think playing those sorts of games or having weird little rules or drills, exercises that you do in the gym or when you're at the crag, I think are super helpful in going and moving you toward that direction. You know, my style has changed dramatically because yeah. here you know, especially on walls like the rodeo wave, you don't really get shakes. You yeah, know? you don't really pair up. You get to shake a hand and then you move again. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not many spots where you just get to hang out there. You camp at a rest and shake out. So it's not that I've lost that skill. It's that I've realized I don't need it as much as I relied on it years ago. You know, so now I can sprint through a lot of sections and I use the word sprint very loosely here. Yeah. We're talking about like the senior Olympics sprinting, mm-hmm. um, through sections where normally I would stop at at least two of the stances where I knew I could get a shake, you know? So yeah, it works. You just have to spend time on it. Yeah. All right. So last thing I've got, I don't know if you have any more on your lists. Don't, I'm, um, I'm going by what you got. Okay. Uh, last one is efficiency in beta. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we hadn't really talked on this, but one thing I think that um, is easy to miss is let's say you're going to try and red point a 12C and you on site to the sixth bolt and then you bolt a bolt from there to the top because that's where the hard bits are. Yep. 
if you never go back and rehearse those yeah. opening six You're bolts, like, I don't need to go. I've onsided those. They're easy. Yeah. Like I can't tell you how many times I've talked with someone where we'll be trying the same route and they're like, yeah, you know, it feels like 13, eight of the fourth bolt. And I'm like, the fuck are you doing? Like, what do you mean 13? A? <laughs> it's like, it's five eleven rock climbing. Right. Like, and you watch them and it's like, oh, you onsided through this and you've never dialed it in. Right. Never um, looked around. You're just doing what you did. Yeah. And, you know, I get it, man. It's hard. You know, like sometimes if you're, it's easy to just be so focused on the crux or the hard section or like the power endurance section that you don't want to go back and like dial in the easy moves. Like I don't want to stop and make V1 moves V0. Yep. That's not fun. Like that's not cool, but it makes a difference. Definitely does. Um, you know, we were talking the other day about uh golden boy in the red. And that for me was a really great lesson in that every time I got on it, I probably changed three or four moves. Like I'd be like, Oh, I can grab this hold like a quarter inch to the left. Mm-hmm. That lets me open my hand and drag rather than half grimping. That's cool. That's going to save some energy later on. Or yep. just these little bitty things. Like I've never had a climb be so microscopically changed every single go. Yep. It makes such a huge difference. Yeah. I think that's, like that's the character of that route. It's all about how many small efficiencies can you pile up before you get to the crux. Yeah. And you know, there's a reason you see five fourteen climbers flail yep. on that thing. Like I've seen people who do God's own stone, black gold, true love, which is thirteen, D. C D and fourteen yep. A, respectively yep. for all three of those, and not be able to do Golden Boy the thirteen B. Yep. Because you know, to them, they're like, oh, this is a fitness route, and they don't give it the respect that mm-hmm. it's an efficiency route. Um, so mm-hmm. that's one that I think is important and gets pretty easily missed out on. Um, you know, once again, you can take it as far as you want. Like, there are times where you might climb the bottom a certain way because you know the top's going to be another style. Like, yep. I may intentionally climb the entire bottom of a route open hand, even though it'll be harder for me because I need to lock down some crimps at the top. Yep. Yeah, in that same interview on Training Beta with Segrist uh, about Planta de Shiva, he talks about, you know, I can get just totally brick pumped on crimps because I know it's about to switch to pinches and I'll be able to go a little bit longer. Yeah. You know, since I don't have to crimp anymore. Totally. Um, and that's that's a real thing. Yeah. So learning those types of tactics and you know the efficiencies and really spending time on the beta on parts that you might have discounted you know you might have just assumed i can do that i don't need to think about it um i mean that's a big part of endurance climbing maybe that's why you're still getting pumped yeah you know and one last thing uh watch other people yep because man everyone climbs differently and you can learn so much. doesn't matter if they're a different body, body type, like different style entirely, like strength, whatever. You can learn some cool things from any type of people. Like, I mean, shit, like I've, you know, I've, I feel like I've learned just as much from watching 510 climbers as I do watching like 515 climbers. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's stuff to be learned everywhere. You know, I watched um, in the same vein of like being really efficient uh, two examples, one climbing with rifle or climbing in rifle with BJ Tilden. Uh, I belayed him on an 11B warm up, whatever that super slippery pile driver, pile driver. Yeah. Favorite. 
ridiculously. It's like climbing glass. Um, Never has a line on it. I don't know why. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> we climbed that. I belayed him on it. He got to the top, lowering him down. He's like, wait, hold me here a second. You know, and worked through a section. And at first I was like, that's 5'11", you know, what's it matter? Mm -hmm. You know, he'd sent 14A the day before and he sent another 14A that day. Yeah. And, but what mattered to him was, I know I can be a little more efficient through this section. Let me just learn it, Mm -hmm. you know, and then. Also, there's a warm-up at the Wild Iris that's super popular, uh, the Devil Wear Spurs. And even though it doesn't do a lot to get a lot of us warmed up anymore, it's still our first pitch of the day every single time. We all do it twice. And uh, my friend Kyle Elmquist this year was the first time up it, climbing it one way with one set of beta, and then the second time up it, climbing it with an entirely different set of beta, Hmm. you know, using holds that he hadn't used the first time up. And I just think that sort of practice of learning different betas, how they feel, you know, what they, what they had, the the amount of pump they cause to you or how warmed up they get your fingers or whatever. This is a really good practice you can do on your warmups at any crag or at any boulder field or whatever you know, and just in increasing your awareness of efficiency. So, yeah. Anything else over there on your no, list? No, that's pretty much it. And I even added a couple to it. So, all right. Well, we've yeah. probably hammered this home enough for people. And, you know, like I mentioned in the middle of this, um, we've got the program with Drew Mack that we do, which is uh, the Red River Pump Prep. If you are planning a trip to the red, we run this thing twice a year. You know, that may change in the future, but it's a really great way to understand endurance climbing. You know, it's, it takes a lot of the things that I've learned as well as what Drew does, puts them together, and then you get access to both Drew and I for beta, psych, tips, whatever. And um, we had some really good results with it so far and we guarantee you'll never get pumped again boom <laughs> yeah <laughs> guaranteed yeah. no no money back but guaranteed no. yeah <laughs> but yeah look out for that if you're interested and we've also got a bunch of other training plans on the site that can that can help with this our climb 512 plan is very steeped in no pun intended um, learning to climb in that sort of pump zone yes so if it's something you have a hard time forcing yourself into, check it out. And uh, you can find all that at powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Instagram, the Facebook, and the Pinterest at Power Company Climbing. And uh, you can search for us on the Twitter. You can push on buttons on Twitter until you're pumped out of your mind, but you're not going to find us there because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. <laughs> This time, 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 this time
this time to be.